This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Hello, college football fans, and welcome to the Primetime Podcast. My name is Ricky Wedmer, and as always, I'm joined by the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And I say it every week, we've got a jam-packed show for you guys as we're kind of continuing on into the off season, and Brandon, this is the time where the next like month and a half, I'm going to be really looking forward to July because once we get to July, I think I mentioned this last week, but fuck it, I'm going to mention it again. Once we get to July, we can finally get to our conference previews of all the Power Fives, maybe even some of the Group of Fives if you guys want to hear them. Yeah, that sounds good. Brandon's like whatever, whatever you say, right? whatever, whatever I'm, you say. I'm here for the ride, but we're gonna be talking about some coo- some cool topics. Like I said, jam packed show, like I always do. Yeah, but there's nothing new about that. We're gonna be talking about some coaches that need a hot, fresh start to begin the 2016 season. Then we're gonna dip into the kind of philosophical debate of whether whether these college programs like Alabama and LSU should be able to offer scholarships to eighth graders, and then we're going to finish up the podcast talking about Stanford's Christian McCaffrey and whether he will be the 2017 Heisman Trophy winner. But, Brandon, we're going to start with these coaches, and we'll just get right into it. To you, who's one coach this season needs to have a hot start? Well, I've got a couple, but I think my number one is going to have to be out of the Big 12, and it's Charlie Strong at Texas. Okay. And he's in his third season. I feel like third, that's an easy it, one, though. It's his, it's his third season. I, I, I'm saying it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got three. Told you, I got three. No, I know. I got a few, too. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, mine are the ones that matter. Uh, he's, he's, in his, <laughs> he's in his third season. You know, they start off with a home opener against mm-hmm. Notre Dame. We know how well that went last year against Notre Dame. Insert the laughs, because it was awful. Uh, he needs to take back hold of the locker room. I think that's a really big thing for him. Guys, last year, again, we've joked about it on here. We've talked about it on here. Guys did not want to be on Texas last year. You need to be able to get hold of that locker room, bring those guys back around, and make them want to be at Texas. Make them want to be a Longhorn. And for so long, people wanted to. People wanted to be a Texas Longhorn. Mm-hmm. Think back just you know, a couple of years. Matt they Brown. W- they wanted to, but that was not the case last year. That's what he needs to do to get back that locker room. So Charlie Strong is a number one. My number two, I think kind of a, a sleeper kind well, of guy. Well, before we get into your number two, I just want to piggyback onto your No, you g- can't do that. I, I g- am not ready for you to piggyback. I want to give some opinions about Charlie Strong, too. And the thing with me is the reason why... I feel like to this point he needs to have a hot start is because, like you said, third year. This is going to be his third year as head coach where, what was it, last year or even two years ago? The whole big thing whenever you turned on any station talking about college football was whether or not Charlie Strong was going to get canned. He was on the hot seat. And was it the whole thing of, oh, should the boosters push him out to get somebody who can win now in there. The way I see it is, to me, the Texas Longhorns are like the 
New York Yankees of college football, except they don't win as much as the Yankees do. That's the only thing. I mean, back in the day, this was a prestigious franchise where you had the Vince Young leading them to the national championship, kids wanting to go there, kids actually having the burnt orange gear on even in the state of Illinois and in the city of Chicago around us, but that's gone away. And you have this high prestigious franchise. They have their own television network, kind of like the Yankees and the Yes Network. They want a winner. Charlie Strong coming in from Louisville had some good seasons, and now after two bad ones, like you said, that's why. It's because of the prestige of this team and how they want to get back there, even though I think it also plays into that the Big 12 isn't anything what it used to be. But go ahead. Who's your second one? Well, going back to, to Strong, though, is that he's 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 number one of coaches who need a fast start. Mm-hmm. He's also number one, in my mind, of coaches on the hot seat. Charlie Strong, I think, if he does not have a successful winning season with Texas this year, I think he's out. Well, that's a discussion that I, I thought about having that one this week, but I'm like, you know what? We'll save it. We're going to save that one for maybe a random week in June or if we get closer to the college football season, maybe in August, kind of like we did last year. Who's the coaches that are on the hot seat coming into this season? But let's alternate. I'll give you one of mine that I think needs a hot start. All right. And I necessarily don't know. I have four of them pulled up, but I don't necessarily know if this is like the guy who out of the four, boom, he's the number one, but he's the guy I'm going to mention first off is Mark Helfrich from the Oregon Ducks because kind of a similar, ah, do I want to say that? Um, I kind of wanted to say almost a similar situation to Charlie Strong, just not as bad because, I mean, Oregon comes in and, well, when he came in to Oregon, I should say, they were at the top. Chip Kelly had just brought them to national championships. Helfrich comes in that first year. They actually go to the national championship. And then in that second year, they kind of fell off when they didn't have, when Helfrich didn't have Marcus Mariota and he had Vernon Adams. It was a nine and four season. I know what you're telling me, Ricky. It was a fucking nine and four season. Get off the guy's back. But part of me feels like, and this is why I don't know why, I don't know if I should say he would be the top guy on my list. Because you see 13 and 2, 9 and 4, is that correlation going to continue in 2016 to where, you know what, 13 and 2, 9 and 4, the next one is 7 and 6 or 6 and 6. Maybe 7 and 6 because they'll win their bowl game. You know, I don't, I, I don't know. Last year, Oregon definitely had their struggles. I mean that was that was apparent. Well, it's because um, they didn't have the quarterback, and Vernon Adams got injured too. Well, but that's but that's what I'm saying is that. But you could tell that Vernon Adams was no Marcus Mariota. He wasn't, and, and you know people what? That's, expected and, and, him and, to be Marcus, and and that's and that's okay that he was not. But yeah, people did expect him to be that. But I don't think that last year's season was a complete loss. You know what I mean? Is I don't think that when you look back at last year, you go, "Oh my gosh, the guy was so bad." No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't look at it mm-hmm. like that. But a lot of the times, you know, I, I feel like that's a conference that gets lost a lot. The Pac-12. I mean, 
It's because they play so late, right? I, I don't, you know, <laughs> we'll get into that later. But I'm, I'm Dude, saying they I play think, so late. Why would I but, watch them? But I think that that uh, they do. I, I mean, they uh, they they are a conference. That I think is one of the is on the back burners of the rest of the conferences. Mm-hmm. I really that's how I feel. You know, a Pac-12 fan may tell me to go f myself, um, but that's okay. They can do that. They have every right to say that. But I I, I think that they would agree with me. That they feel mm-hmm. like their conference is probably now one of the top elite ones that people are looking at going, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a good one again. You know, it's got all these strong teams, blah, blah, blah. Not the case. But I think that he did a, a fine job, an admirable job coaching well, yeah, last year. I mean, but fans are going to want him to step it up this year and be better because what do they want to do? What does every fan want? Especially Power 5 fan that has a chance. Championship. They want a national championship. Well, they want a chance of going to the college football playoff. Well, and here's the thing where I'm going to throw back in this point of then you can see even if, I don't know if it's if he goes 9-4 and four again, but as you go further into your time at Oregon, if you are Mark Helfrich, it's, okay, was that first year? Was that 13-2 and two national championship runner-up season? Was that because you had Chip Kelly's guys? Is that why you got that far? It wasn't necessarily you that got him there. It was the layaway talent that you inherited from Chip Kelly. And Oregon is like nothing special. New coach steps in. They run the same exact system as the guy before it. And it's just a revolving door of, you know what? This guy moved on. We're going to take his predecessor, move him up from offensive coordinator to the head coach. And the revolving door, the lineage kind of keeps going. So that's the only thing with Helfrich where he's not going to be a guy who's on the hot seat, like a guy like Charlie Strong might if he has a bad season. But I think this year he has to have a hot start to make headway in that Pac-12, like you said, which is getting tougher. Give me your second guy. Who's the second coach you want to bring up for yourself? My second guy, and I think this may be more of a a sleeper-type guy, but I think it's James Franklin from Penn State. Okay, okay, interesting. And I I say that because, you know, it's his third season. He's 14-12 and in his his first two, and he's he's underwhelmed. And and fans have felt underwhelmed Mm -hmm. with, with his performance. And... You know he's he's going in there. He's taking over a program that Bill had O'Brien had a lot of drama. Behind you know, it, but too. it had a lot of drama. But Bill O'Brien did a good job while he was there. He got a head coaching spot with the Texans. Now James Franklin comes in, and I think that Franklin really needs to have a a good season with Penn State. And uh, personally, I think now. Uh, that he doesn't have Christian Hackenberg anymore, he can. Uh, I, I don't think, especially this past year, I thought... Do you think Hackenberg was hindering his production because he had to start Hackenberg? Is that what no, you're getting at? No, that's not what I'm okay. getting at. That's actually completely wrong. I, I, I <laughs> Usually it, what I say is completely wrong. <laughs> I, I just, I don't think that Hackenberg was hindering him, but I don't, th- I don't think Hackenberg was hindering him. I think Hackenberg was hindering the rest of the team okay. because the quarterback is, quarterback's your leader. Hackenberg wasn't leading them anywhere. Mm-hmm. Under Hackenberg, you're not going too far. He's got a cap, in my opinion. He has got a cap. He is not that great. Again, fans, step in. Tell me that I'm wrong if I am. Um, but uh, he needs to win some big games this year. He's got Pitt. It's going to be a big rematch with Temple this year after what happened last season. He has got to win those games. 
These are some big ones. I think Pitt and Temple are two very big ones. Mm -hmm. Pitt because it's a state rivalry. Temple, again, like I said, what happened last year. And really, I pegged Penn State to be sleepers overall, the team. I pegged them to be sleepers. But first, they need to wake up as a team. They need to be able to bring something to the table. That's why I think for James Franklin... He really needs to get off to a hot start this year with the Penn State Nittany Lions. Well, and one of the things I'm looking at, when I look at their schedule from 2014, 2015, and then at 16, the big thing that Franklin needs to avoid and his Nittany Lions need to avoid in his third year as head coach is the losing streaks of four games because they've had two. Count them two, one in 14, one in 15, losing streaks of four games. Where in 14, it came a little bit early, middle of the season, end of September, where they lose to Northwestern at home. They lose to Michigan on the road. They t- Yes, it was a double overtime game, great game, probably should have beat the Buckeyes. I was hoping they'd beat the Buckeyes at home. They lose 31-24, and then they end up getting upset by one point by Maryland, then they win two and lose two. They also lost at Illinois that season, which if you lose to Tim Beckman's Illinois squad, we have a problem because they're historically bad. But then in 15, they do really well at the beginning of the season, lose to Temple, but then they get just rattle off five wins in a row. However, at the end of the year, right as November hit, couldn't buy a win. They lose to Northwestern. 23 to 21. They lose to Michigan on senior day, 28 to 16. And then they fucking get hammered in East Lansing by the number five Spartans, 55 to 16, before losing their bowl game to Georgia. So to me, it's got to be, you got to avoid the the losing streaks. And I look at their schedule this year, there's a five game stretch. A five-game stretch where I could see at least a four-game losing streak. And it starts on the 17th. Temple, at home, doesn't matter. That's going to be a tough game. You can't lose it. At Michigan, home against Minnesota, home against Maryland, home against Ohio State. Those five games, you can't have a four- or five-game losing streak within those five games because then you're doing exactly what you did the last two seasons, and you're not going to go anywhere. It's a tough stretch. It's a tough stretch, but this is a team that absolutely needs to do well on it. They do. And, but, you know, I really think they can. Again, like I said, I I think this team may be a little bit different because mm-hmm. it's no longer going to be Hackenberg at the helm, but we're going to see what they've got. We're going to see what they've got. And I think for James Franklin, he's another guy that if he doesn't produce this year with this squad, I I think that he's another one whose head could be on the chopping block at the end of the season. Well, and I know that you don't, you think this team, I mentioned the word fake ID, you know where I'm going with this, but the big difference from last year to this year in the um, scheduling, the conference schedule for the Nittany Lions is take out Illinois and take out Northwestern. You don't got to play them this year. You get Purdue and you get Iowa. So you could look at it as the same kind of a thing where 
Um, Illinois and Purdue, that lesser team that you should be able to beat. Iowa, though, that is a tough opponent, and especially playing them on the fifth and then going to Bloomington, Indiana, a team in the Hoosiers that you said could be sleepers in the Big Ten. That's what the Nittany Lions have to do. They have to avoid the losing streaks. I'm going to take your Big Ten coach, and I am going to raise you another Big Ten coach. Lovey Smith has to have a hot start at Illinois. Two reasons why I'm saying this, and I'll be honest, it has nothing to do with making the college football playoff, has nothing about them winning the Big Ten. It all has to do on A, morality for your fan base, people like me, and B, setting your team up for success when you get to Big Ten play. Because if Illinois can do well against Murray State, can if we can beat, now I'm not even saying like by a touchdown, I'm saying if we can even beat them by a field goal on September 10th, they being the Tar Heels of North Carolina, and then beat Western Michigan, I would be smitten. I would be so in love with Lovey Smith, and I would be partaking in whatever that he is selling at Illinois because that's the big thing with Tim Beckman was you can beat the little teams, but then you throw that big one in there. We get killed by Washington, their place, or at Soldier Field. That's what I don't like to see. You go to Chicago and just get fucking owned. Same thing happened, I believe, when we played Northwestern at Soldier Field. But if Lovey can get off to a fresh start, if he can get off to a hot start, that is a key for him, especially a coach, because he's a different one than any coach I think we're going to bring up on this entire podcast, Brandon, is he's got to set the precedent of, hey, I can make the jump from the NFL to college. I can do this. I can get these boys playing, something that the other guy couldn't do. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, that's an interesting one, going, going with Lovey. But I, I think you're right because now Illinois has said, they've put out there, they've, they've, they've gone, okay, we've got Lovey Smith now. Mm-hmm. We've got a coach that coached in the NFL, did good with the Bears. He's a guy that people can get behind, relate to, blah, 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 all this stuff. He'll take you out to ice cream after you but, lose the Super Bowl. <laughs> but now... <laughs> he will. He took Rex out for ice cream. Oh, gosh. He should have just taken him out. <laughs> should have taken him out back. But, no? No? But, I'm uh, throwing you off. Go on. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, certainly throwing me off. But... Will he produce? You know, you can throw so many things. You know, you can have a you know smoke and mirrors for so mm-hmm. long until people start to go, "Hey, what the fuck is going on here?" Yeah, you know that's and that's what they don't want to happen with Illinois. They've now thrown a mm-hmm. good coach out there. Okay, now you feel spoiled. You feel like, oh man, they went and they got Lovey Smith. We got Lovey Smith. Now, now it's time for results. Although I do feel like I've seen this, like I feel the same way when the Cubs went ahead and I almost said Joe Madden. I'm going to say Lou Pinella because with Joe Madden, when he got hired by the Cubs, I was like, well, fuck it. We're going to win the World Series in five years. That's what we're going to do. Like we have that window to win multiple World Series. But with Joe Madden, he kind of knew it was coming. With Lou Pinella, you're like, man, we're going to win a World Series. 
But then you sat there and went, but we're the Cubs. Are we really going to win a World Series? You had that kind of little bit of doubt in your head. I'm the same way with Illinois. Oh, we got Lovey Smith. We're going to be good. Yeah, but we're also Illinois, and we haven't been good. And usually the worst things happen to us, especially when we hit to the conference schedule. So if I think Lovey Smith can have a fresh start with his team, a hot start to begin this season, carry it over into conference play. That's the one thing this team hasn't been able to do, carry momentum into conference play. Then that Nebraska game is going to be huge because usually we play them to start Big Ten play. And they hammer us. They hammer us each and every time. It's it's inevitable that that happens. But Lovey Smith, putting him up there, like I said, taking your Big Ten, raising another. Who's your next guy that needs a hot start? My final one. My final guy who needs a hot start. We've talked about him already. And I'm going to go over to the SEC. I'm going to say Kevin Sumlin. Oh, okay. No. We're, Kev- we're different. We're different. Kevin Sumlin. He needs the hot start. He needs the hot start because of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago on mm-hmm. this podcast. And he, he, he really needs the hot start because of the production last year. You know, he didn't get what he wanted. They were so down in so many offensive categories. Mm-hmm. And they really need to get going. And if they do not, who is on the line for that? That is Kevin Sumlin. I, I think that what has happened with you know with one of his what happened with one of his assistants tweeting out you know this thing about loyalty and and all this stuff and then they have some commits decommit and I, I think that Kevin Sumlin to put all this behind him and last year behind him they need to get off to a hot start for his sake. I was gonna say man, I, for a second I thought that. Hey, you know what, Brand? I was waiting for it. Brandon, are we going to pick the same guy? Are we going to have any guys who are the same? Kevin Sumlin needs a hot start just to save his job. Let's be honest. Like, that's the thing with Kevin Sumlin. I am going to throw in my last one, though, really quick, because you said SEC. Mine's a guy, and we'll play the guessing game really quick. I'll give you one guess. He's a guy that used to wear red and was in the SEC. But he's not anymore. Kirby Smart. No. He's not in the SEC. Smart is still in the SEC. um, Used to wear red. What SEC team, his main colors is red? uh, Georgia. If if you have, yeah, what was their head coach? What Um, was his name? uh, Mark Rick. Mark Rick. That's my guy. Kind of with him, need a hot start. You're at the U. You're at your old team. You need to bring this program back to life, back what it was. I'm I'm talking Snellenberger days because that's what this team wants. That's what this fan base wants. They want championships. Someone's the only kind of oddball in this entire group that we've brought out is because he's not even thinking about a national championship. He just needs to save his job. I think Strong also, though. I mean, you think st- Strong is going to be on the hot seat d- coming in? Oh, come on. How could he not be? He was on the hot seat for every game last year. And I'm you just th- trying to aggravate you. Think he should you. I'm just yeah, trying to aggravate you. I do. You. And I obviously think he's it's on working. the hot seat. It's obviously it's well, working. Well, because I thought you were being serious. No, no. I, I meant that was my point I mentioned with Charlie Strong is that he was going to be fired. But, yeah, with Rick, it's you've got to come in and you've got to show me two things. One – you want to bring this program back to the glory days, and number two, show me that Georgia that ending in Georgia was a fluke. That you are a great coach. That you are the good coach. 
that I believed you were the solid coach that you were at at Georgia. But I'll say an honorable mention is Kirby Smart. Let's throw him in there. New coach, new situation. Kind of want to give a, a little middle finger to your uh, to your um, what's the word I'm looking for? Your mentor, your kind of guy who brought you up in Nick Saban. Like, yeah, I can do this too. Your, your mentor. And I'm coming for your job. I'm coming for it. Not your job at Alabama. Your job is the best coach in the SEC. But that's going to do it for our kind of talking about who needs a fresh start. If you're listening on SoundCloud, on YouTube, go uh, down to the comment section. Let us know what you think. Who is the coaches that need a hot start or a fresh start for the 2016 season? But we're going to jump into our next segment, the next topic on the show. And this is one, Brandon, that when I put it on the pre-show list, I gave you a choice. It was either this or it was, let's talk about Jimbo Fisher possibly leaving Florida State. And when I sent it to you, I hit that send button on the email. I was thinking, God, I hope he picks this one. I hope he does because I feel like we talked about the Jimbo thing earlier, like last season and That's something we can talk about whenever because it seems like whenever there's not enough news, somebody throws out, hey, Jimbo could leave. Jimbo could leave. But we're going to look into, this is our philosophical topic of the podcast. And Brandon, I'm going to be frank and hit you with it. Should college football programs be able to offer scholarships, full-ride scholarships to eighth graders? No. To 14-year-olds? No. No, I, I, I think absolutely not. I, I, I think it's, I think that's too young. I think that is too young. I mean, they are, you know, some people. I mean, uh, you're in high school, and, and and it's happening. And some people would say, oh, you're still too young then. But let these kids be kids for a little bit, you know. Let them have somewhat of a normal life for a little bit, because the moment that they are going into college and in a lot of these programs, it's not a normal life. They don't really mm-hmm. get to, you know, have. Not, not to say they don't have fun. Let me tell you, they have fun. But they don't have the normal life. They don't get to live a normal life like everyone else does. And I, I just don't think that offering a scholarship to an eighth grader makes any sense. Because if you are offering it as an eighth grader, let's just kind of think he'll probably get better as he gets older. Anything can You can happen. still offer the scholarship. You know, you can still offer the scholarship when he's a junior. You can still offer the scholarship when he's a senior. You know, you can you can still do that. Some people would say, well, if it's offered now, you know, then, well, what if he gets injured and, you know, this and that and the other thing? Well, if he gets injured, I'm, I'm sure that they wouldn't want to offer the, the scholarship any longer. You know, but you know what I mean? There's just like that doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. Why are you offering it to him as an eighth grader? And the kid that they, I'm going to call him a kid because he's a kid. Uh, yeah. The kid that they had offered the scholarship to, Jesus Machado, Alabama's not the only one that has offered him a verbal offer. He's gotten verbal offers from Iowa State, Michigan State, NC State, loves the state schools, and then the Mountaineers from West Virginia. The way I see this is I'm going to kind of go on a different kind of a no than you, Brandon. The reason I say no is kind of like you. Yeah, they're too young. But the way I look at it is I hate the verbal offer. I cannot stand it. I even hate when 
guys come out, they do the whole hat thing, and it's like, I'm going to Kansas. Because when you come out in a commitment nowadays, it doesn't mean anything. It's not binding until that ink hits the paper. How many signing day stories have we heard where the mother has kind of held the the signature or the letter of intent ransom because she wants him to go to LSU and he wants to go to Florida or the parents want him to go here and he wants to go here, but no, you're going to go here and they make that decision. The only way, the only reason this is even relevant and why, why teams would offer, I would say, at eighth graders is because of the parents. It's the prestige. You just got an offer from Alabama. He's going out playing with his friends, and you know what he's saying? Hey, man, guess what? I just got offered by Alabama. Dude, this is why I'm better than you. Notice how I phrased that. I didn't phrase it as a, hey, be happy for me, kind of a humble way. This giving 8th graders scholarship offers is only going to build their egos And as they get older, the ego is going to be bigger and bigger to where if, God forbid, if something happens and the career of football gets poof, vanishes, they're not going to have the ego to be able to, and this is only one scenario of it, they're not going to have the ego to manage it. Or their ego is going to be so big, they're going to get to a college team eventually and then have to be knocked down a few pegs by the upperclassmen. Yeah, you know, that's that makes sense. That point definitely makes sense. It's building um, their egos. There's no question about it. I I just think that it, at the end of the day, it's an eighth grader. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it is an eighth grade kid. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. You know, don't I, I, I don't I don't think that it should be allowed. To be, I don't think they should be allowed to mm-hmm. have a be offered a scholarship until they're into high school. You know, once they're in high school, then you know what? I'd say it's, juniors. It's, it's almost it's juniors almost it's almost like their fair game. Junior for sure. You can start looking mm-hmm. up, looking at them as a, at a sophomore. Well, you can start scouting them. Well, freshman, sure, sure, but don't but, offer at them until junior year. No, I mean it doesn't. He could go into high school and get injured. I mean, God forbid you don't want that to happen. But that could happen, and then it's like, oh, well, I know we offered you, but we're going to pull the offer. And at the end of this ESPN article, it even says verbal offers are non-binding and prospects not are, and prospects are not allowed to receive written offers until their senior season. So you're not even allowed to get a written offer until your season senior season of high school, yet we're going to just throw a verbal offer, which... Because it's non-binding, it doesn't mean shit in my book. Like, that's like saying, um, I don't know. Hey, Ricky, I'm going to be over at 8. That doesn't mean anything to me. You no. could show up. If, you could it, not show if up. If I I've said, Ricky, I'm going to be over at 8, we know I'm coming at 820. Yeah, well, that's how it goes. You got to show up fashionably late to the party. But, yeah, the, the non-binding, there is no commitment either way in the verbal offer category or when a guy says, yeah, I'm going to commit because until they sign that piece of paper, they're not a member of your football team. And another thing I'm going to throw out there, kind of from my personal life in this, 
is recently I've just gotten a new job where now I'm dealing with the admissions part at a college. And the one thing I always hear from my supervisor is, oh, you know what? You got to like, I would call them because, oh, you you know how high school students are. They kind of change their minds every two seconds. Well, if I'm talking about that with a sophomore and a junior in high school. How many times in a millisecond does an eighth grader change his mind about things? Or you get the parents that say, I don't care what you do. You're going to Alabama now because it's Alabama. And there's a kind of prestige with it. Like, oh, my son got an offer from Alabama. Well, but see, that's that's another thing, too, is because once you're in high school, a lot of the decision is up to you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's your decision. You're being offered as a you brought up a really good point. Like I, I think. said, depends on the situation. There have been family members that keep the um, LOI uh, ransom, per se. No, I understand that. But at the same time, you're an eighth grader. Mm-hmm. Are you making almost any decisions for yourself? No, pretty much. No. You don't even get to decide when you get to take a shit. I think that's the only thing you can. Well, yeah, decide. you gotta you gotta raise your hand and go get the bathroom stick. Teacher so can, you can still go, say no. But, but how horrible is that? And I have had teachers say no. What do you want me to do? Shit in my seat? Or I don't think so. Trust me, because I've been there. Is it an emergency? How the fuck are you gonna know if it's an emergency if I say yes? And I just then said they get mad. Yeah, I would, oh, you like, got to leave my class. I was just teaching the cure to cancer. <laughs> I don't think so, bitch. So, you hey, know. Hey, man, hey, man. Some of those topics are important. I'll tell you what, though, is that at the end of the day, in no way, in no way should an eighth grader be no. offered a no. scholarship by any team because it's just not time yet. High school, absolutely, absolutely. That's when it should be. I would like eighth to... grade, let, but at the same time, it goes back to the comment I made at the beginning. Let the kids be kids, mm-hmm. you know. Let them have a little bit of a normal life because mm-hmm. the minute that they get offered this scholarship, they, you know, especially Alabama, you know, it's Alabama or or Michigan State or any of these big schools. It's no longer a normal life when you're playing on their team. You know, it's no longer a normal life. You are in the limelight. You mm-hmm. are, and some people handle well, I mean, it well. Look at what some people don't Cam handle Robinson. it well. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's let them be kids Johnny for a Manziel. little bit longer. Well, good Johnny, Johnny Manziel. Manziel is going to be a kid until he dies in a few years. Well, I was saying the part where he was the BMOC in the limelight in college, but yeah, I, what what I was going to say is if you are a person that is saying yes to this, please comment down below. No, yeah, please absolutely. Comment. Because, because I, I want to hear that side of it. That's what I want. I want to hear the side that is saying, yes, you should be able to offer. And I'm not saying don't be a little dick in the comment section and say yes just to fuck with us. I want the actual people that really believe yes, because I want to have an intelligent sports conversation with you about this because this is something that what like I said Brandon when I threw it out there I was like I hope Brandon picks this but I kind of wanted to give you a choice because I was like I don't know what he's feeling if this is like a topic that he would want to talk about but I really like I saw that and I was just like who would think yes to this and I know that it's kind of like who would vote for Hillary Clinton I just can't see those people but politics that's a different story I just can't see the yes argument here, and that's why I want to see it down below if you believe that. 
Yeah, I, I you know I agree with that because there there may be people who and there probably are people. There's there's always someone on the opposite side of you um, that, mm-hmm. that that thinks the opposite of what you think. And and yeah, I I think that it would be really interesting to see you know why people. But a lot of times that's that's nice though is because. That's why being able to have intelligent conversations about about things in general, about whatever it is, sports, politics, whatever, and people are so afraid to have conversations about politics, but you know, all you have to do is have an open mind about things, and I think we both do have an open mind about uh, you know pretty much any subject that's going to be thrown at us because guess what the way that we think is not always the the right way and the way that we're thinking we may be thinking on one path you open up our mind to another one so absolutely if you are thinking yes absolutely offer that scholarship to eighth graders please please comment down below and we will be able to have a nice conversation with you because I, I think this is an interesting topic because if more and more situations or cases like this come up, because let's remember, you know, Alabama is not the only, this isn't the only one. And he was, LSU offered, did it and he was offered by other, other mm-hmm. schools as LSU well. LSU was the big one last year. But it does happen. Why is it happening? Why are mm-hmm. they trying to go after him right now in eighth grade? And why, if you were an eighth grader, would you take it? Why would you do that? So if you're on that line of thinking, please let us know. But we're going to move on to the last kind of story that we're going to talk about here on the podcast. And this was a good one. I wanted this was going to be on the podcast no matter what, Brandon, just because I know how heated you get with this discussion of should not should he win because we're looking to next year. Will Christian McCaffrey running back slash receiver, I'll say, for the Stanford Cardinal, will he win the Heisman this year? year in 2016-2017, and just in case you guys forgot, last year, McCaffrey, over 2,000 rushing yards, had 2,019 to be exact, averaged six yards per carry, had eight tutties for the Cardinal as a sophomore, and then receiving had 646 receiving yards, 14.3 average per catch, and he had five receiving touchdowns. You know, Ricky, I would really like to call this this section of the podcast Heisman After Dark. You know, I think <laughs> I think it really plays in well with what I'm going to talk about here. So, Heis- the the After Hours uh, Heisman show. Yeah. So, you know, was McCaffrey's Heisman loss last year due to the fact that nearly everyone was asleep while he was playing? No. Well, a lot of people are trying to make the argument that it was because the Pac-12 doesn't have a big enough stage, you know, in the afternoon. Like Alabama has that stage in the mm-hmm. afternoon on the SEC, you know, not not the SEC network, but it's Fox it kind Sports, of is. It's on Fox Sports does on have CBS. the late game though. That's usually a West Coast game. Usually though, it's Oregon and Southern Cal that get those games though. I will say, while I do believe that the timing may have something to do with it, you can't blame it all on the game time. To do so would be an incredible cop-out if I've ever seen one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would like to just put a couple of comparisons together. So I think Henry had the bigger games consistently Mm -hmm. throughout the year. Derrick Henry, last year. 2,219 rushing yards, 28 touchdowns. McCaffrey, 2,019 rushing yards 
with eight touchdowns. Derrick Henry, receiving yards, doesn't matter. He's not a receiver. Not very good at all, actually. Next, McCaffrey, 645 receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns. Derrick Henry broke a record set by Herschel Walker. McCaffrey broke a record set by Barry Sanders. Mm -hmm. So they're right up there. They're right up there. Highest per carry average, Derrick Henry, 5.6 yards a carry. McCaffrey averaged 8.5 yards each time he touched the ball. The worst game for Derrick Henry, 27 carries, 95 yards, and a touchdown in a game against Arkansas. The worst game for McCaffrey came in the first game against Northwestern, 12 carries for 66 yards, 5 carries for 23 yards. So ultimately, there you go, folks. I gave you comparisons. Who is the better running back? Derrick Henry. Could McCaffrey be a better all-around running back, receiving out of the backfield, returner, because he plays in the return game? Sure, yeah, I'll give you that. Derrick Henry, the best Overall running back. But. Do you want to know? But. No, not yet. Okay. The last time that something like this happened was. What exactly? The the little guy when, from the Pac-12? When, when the guy from the Pac-12 lost out to the SEC guy. Talking about Andrew Locke. Mark Ingram and oh, Toby okay. Gerhardt. Oh, okay. When Toby Gerhardt had 1,000. Also a Stanford guy. Yep. When, mm-hmm. when uh, Toby Gerhardt had 1,871. Yards and 28 touchdowns, while Ingram had 1,658 yards and 17 touchdowns, and Mark Ingram is the one that wins the Heisman, not Gerhardt. I thought you were going to say that um, it was also Andrew Luck, who he's finished twice. He's finished second twice in the Heisman voting, which goes to the argument of Oh, these guys play later, so the Heisman voters are asleep. I'm going to add something out there that kind of stirs the pot a little bit. First off, with Christian McCaffrey, I'm putting out the disclaimer. I love McCaffrey. I love what he brings to the game. Can run the ball. He's a receiver. Going to be a great asset to an NFL team next year. However, my comparison to him now and my comparison when we get to the draft probably won't change. He's a taller Danny Woodhead. Danny Woodhead is 5'8", I want to say 200, whereas Christian McCaffrey is 6'1", 201. So he's a, he's a Danny Woodhead that's virtually three inches taller than Danny Woodhead. That's what he is. Can run the ball, can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can also ri- line up in the slot, and be a wide receiver as well. Here's the thing I'm going to throw out to you, Brandon, and this is something that different kind of a context when I heard it on The Herd for Colin Cowherd. If you guys know, I love Colin Cowherd, and I listen to him almost every day. Different context with him, but I feel like you can apply this kind of a knowledge into the Christian McCaffrey. I can't even remember what Cowherd was talking about when he said this, but it's something that just resonated with me. 
and I'm going to relate it here to McCaffrey. Yeah, McCaffrey may be the best running back in the Pac-12, but put him in the SEC. Is he still the best? I'm not saying the stats that he racked up while going against Pac-12 foes. I'm saying put him on an SEC team against SEC defenses. Is he still the best running back in the whole college football? No. Guess what? Wouldn't even be top five. Might not even might not even be top five in the SEC if he's on an SEC going up against SEC defenses night in, night out. That's a that throws that into the debate. The Pac twelve versus the SEC versus the strength of schedule. Screw times. Screw the time of day it is. That's what we should be focusing on. That is weaker than the SEC. So that kind of plays into why he may be up there. But I'm not trying to take anything away from him. Well, no, I, but I think I think the thing is, though, is that in the article that I was reading, they mm-hmm. were really trying to make a big stink about the fact that— Are you talking about the one by Adam Rittenberg? I don't remember who wrote the damn thing, okay. but I'm talking about one on ESPN. They're talking about how— all you know, all yeah, the stuff the where they're they're, they're trying to uh, rearrange the timing, <laughs> and it's like, are you kidding me? Are you really? Are, are you kidding? Because you know what? That's a bunch of crap. That is a bunch of crap. You know, I think the best guy won. The best guy won. It was Derrick Henry, and I'm not saying that because he's on Alabama. The best guy won. You know, mm-hmm. he really did. He really did. Now I'm gonna and I'm gonna I throw think, this though, in though that if Christian McCaffrey this year, if we're talking this year, McCaffrey probably has if he puts up stats like he did last year for most of the year, he probably he's gonna need to do a little bit better than that. Mm-hmm. But he could absolutely have a shot this year. Absolutely he could. I'm gonna but throw I'm this just out saying, there. you know, it it to say that it's a timing thing. It's bull. Well, let me throw this out there. This is a quote from Stanford coach David Shaw that they used in this article, the one that you were talking about from Adam Rittenberg. The quote from Shaw says, and I quote, I don't think it's a myth, but there's no man behind the curtain, no organized East Coast bias that's keeping the West Coast down. There are some built-in hurdles that we have to fight on the West Coast, end quote. What do you think about that? Are there hurdles for the West Coast? Not not in particular the timing of the game, but what Shaw said, are there hurdles for the West Coast? Yeah, they're not as exciting. They're not. I mean, people don't I'm 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 being serious. Brandon just pissed a lot of fucking West Coast football fans off. It's not it's not it. it's not as exciting. You want to watch football? What's the game that you want to watch? You want to watch Arizona versus Colorado? Fuck no. You want to watch Alabama versus LSU. Here's what we're That's getting what to. you want to watch. And I know I just gave a completely yeah. lopsided I'm, uh, I'm comparison. Gonna, you know what but, I'm going to do, Brandon? I'm going to take what you're saying and I'm going to translate it for the viewer, for the listeners for out the there. For the viewers that for can see For the viewers us. out there. Well, the ones looking at the logo on YouTube, that could be. But for the listeners out there, I'm going to take what you're saying, and I'm going to translate it. Look at the Pac-12. Who was the best team in the Pac-12 two years ago in the first year of the college football playoff? I don't know. I don't watch them. Who was it? Who went? To, who lost in the national championship game to Ohio State? 
Oregon. Oregon. Has Oregon been a team that has been, oh, this is a good team, like smash mouth football, they play football to what you think? Or could they be described as a team that won their conference on a gimmick? Here's really what comes. That, wait, wait, this wait. Is, no, no. This is really what comes Let out me talk. of it. Brand it, 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 brand it. What? Let me finish. I'm not done. Oregon, to me, I'll get it clearer out because you obviously want to go on with your point. Oregon, to me, a team that they won their division. They won their conference two years ago. But they are a team that many could see they have won because they found a system that worked, a gimmick that worked in their conference to win the Pac-12. You go to the SEC, you go to the Big Ten, what is it? Smash mouth football, two guys just saying, you know what, I'm going to go and hit you as hard as me. I'm on the side of you, Brandon. i rather watch a game that is fucking Michigan and Ohio State in the big house that ends up being 28-21 than a game like I'm not even going to use the West Coast. I'll use Baylor TCU. The 65 to 55 shootout. I don't want to see that. I want to see Ann Arbor, Big House, Wolverines, Buckeyes, Smash Mouth 28 21 game. That's what I want to see as a football fan. That's what it gets to. And that's the thing that can play in here because of the gimmicks that you can see on the West Coast. I, I I still I think that it comes down to you know what do people what what do people want to watch, um and I I I don't know in all honesty I I think that you know you if you want to you should put some of these games in prime time you know if you if you want McCaffrey to be you get him in prime time you know then you, they're and, then and, they're playing at five o'clock on a Saturday Brandon they may be too early for the West Coast. It's not too early for the West Coast. Gosh, damn. What do you guys need to be spoon-fed? My gosh. Just get out there. Get into the time slots that are going to get that, that people won't be sleeping. As I was saying to, to, to Ricky before we even came on the podcast, what am I, you know, a lot of these games being played about 9, 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday. 11 o'clock for, on the East Coast. For, for a long time, you know. What, what, am I, what are we doing on a Saturday? People are out probably drinking. They're not watching that game. Well, they could if it's on at the bar they're at. But are they really watching? No, they're like, oh they're my gosh, with friends. oh my gosh, it's a big play. Who did it? Oh, I don't know. And if they know who who did it, they forget in the morning. You know, you well, know yeah, what I'm they, saying? They, they drank so much last night. But no, to me, it gets down to like I said, you get the West Coast. That's like, not all the teams on the West Coast are gimmicky. But I'm using Oregon as the example. They found a gimmick that works, that high-flying offense. And, I mean, it's cute. I watched it once. It was like, okay, that was that was cool. It beat Jameis Winston pretty badly, which I was excited about because fuck Jameis Winston. But really, more than not, I'm going to watch the game that's two teams slugging it out, Alabama-LSU, that ends 35-24 to or 35-28. That's... Just that big, just kind of smash mouth, two two opposing, like unstoppable force meets a movable object kind of team. Look at even Boise State. I know they're not exactly West Coast, but they're West enough. How did they, how did they beat Oklahoma in that bowl game many years ago? Gimmicks. They used a Statue of Liberty play. They used a gimmick to beat a Power Five team. Yeah, they get the win. Yeah, was it cool to watch on Sports Center? Yeah. 
but it was a gimmick. That's what the West Coast to me is gimmicks, whereas the East Coast is smash mouth football. Now is that bad? Yeah. The people like their people like some things different in the East than people do in the West. It's just how we are. And most of the voters will have that East Coast bias. That's how it's gonna be. And I real I, I don't have anything against, you know, West Coast football. But the problem is, is that now because McCaffrey didn't win, we try and go back and figure out, hmm. Well, why didn't he win? Because his stats clearly were good enough. Well, no, they clearly weren't. Because if he only had eight total rushing touchdowns and five total receiving touchdowns, and he had a couple of touchdowns in the return game, but I really don't even look at the return game. No returner is going to be a you know Heisman winner unless you're but, Desmond Howard. But that's what I'm saying. But but not a uh, not a full time returner. Yeah, not a full time returner. Well, Tim ha- or Desmond Howard was a full time returner. He was one of the best though. Like to be to win the Heisman as a returner and a corner, you have to be like an impeccable. Like I'm setting records but, as a returner. But I'm saying, but he's also a corner too. Yeah, he's not just a returner. Yeah, on well, special nobody's teams. just a returner. Eh, well. You know, Devin Hester probably could have been just a returner. He hey, wasn't good at much else. He was technically he was technically a cornerback, but he was really really good. <laughs> um, but McCaffrey, that it, you know his his yards maybe total are more than Henry, but touchdowns nowhere near it. Mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey is a damn good player, and I'm not taking a darn thing away from him. But when you, people are trying to then take it away from Derrick Henry and say, "Oh no, no, we what are we doing? We should." How, how did McCaffrey not win? He should have been the unquestioned number one. And now people are going back trying to find, well, maybe it's because our game times aren't at a good time. Oh, for Pete's sake, people, come on. That could play into it maybe, a, you know, 1%, but the other 99%, I don't think so. I don't think so. I just, I think that I really get irritated, as you can clearly see. Mm-hmm. When people just try and make excuses after the fact, reactive excuses, you know, I I think that that's, I, that, that's kind of uh, childish. And, be, and before we end this, I probably should have brought this up sooner. Somebody has probably already typed in the comment section, but if you did, shame on you for not waiting for me to make this point by we by when we ended the segment. Some of you may be saying, yeah, but guys, Marcus Mariota won the Heisman. He was a Pac-12 guy. It's not impossible for a Pac-12 guy to win the Heisman. However, the one thing I want to kind of remind you of is how good Marcus Mariota's 2014 season is. You might be saying, yeah, well, Ricky, you're saying that Oregon's a gimmick. Look at this. The quarterback won the Heisman in 2014. Yeah, but he, he had an impeccable season. He was averaging... To me, what, 2.5, maybe three touchdowns a game? How many interceptions did he throw all season? Four. He threw four interceptions all season. Had a touchdown to INT total of 42 touchdowns to four interceptions and threw 4,454 yards. He basically played Madden in 2014. That's what Marcus Mario did. Oh, and don't even get me started on the 15 touchdowns he had on the ground and the 770 yards he had on the ground as well. That's why he won the Heisman, because he had one of the best 
seasons for a dual threat quarterback that I could ever remember in my life. I see 42 to 4 touchdown interception ratio. Fucking take the trophy. You earned it. Just just take it because only four interceptions all year. That's why he won it. So that's for the people that are going to throw out the, well, you know, Marcus Mariota won it. So, I mean, the Pac-12 is not that much of garbage. And we're not saying the Pac-12 is garbage. We're just saying that take Christian McCaffrey, and this is my point. Take Christian McCaffrey, put him on a team in the SEC. He's not even top three, maybe not even top five in that conference. Yeah, you know, I I just think that McCaffrey's stats, when you talk about Mariota's, Inflated and, and, and because what, of the and, and what he no, I'm not even saying that is that those stats are incredible stats. Mm-hmm. Those are incredible stats. Video game numbers. But McCaffrey, he didn't even have those type of stats. He did really well, but not near anything like that. Obviously, people would say yeah, he's a running back. Yes, I understand that, but. Only eight touchdowns on the ground. Now, if he had like 18 touchdowns on the ground, 11 receiving touchdowns, then it's like, okay, this guy really, really had one hell of a season. But he didn't do that. He did not do that. And I'm not even ready to call him my favorite for the Heisman this year. Because if Leonard Leonard Fournette comes back the way that he did last year for most of the year, playing Alabama brought him down. Uh, to ground level, but he was flying high each and every week. Also, Deshaun Watson, if he goes back to what he was doing last year, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there. Nick Chubb, if he gets on track after the injury last year, McCaffrey's going to have some very steep competition. And yes, he's very good. Christian McCaffrey very, very good player, and I enjoy watching him. But at the end of the day, he does not have it made for this season. He does not have the clear-cut number one favorite for the Heisman this year. A lot of competition. It'll be a fun season. Well, that is going to do it for the Primetime Podcast this week. You can go and tell us down below in the comment section what you thought of this segment or any of the the segments on today's show. If you're listening to us on SoundCloud, go ahead, hit that repost and that little heart button. If you're on YouTube, go hit that like button. If you're new, go hit that subscribe button. But if you want to give us a little bit extra support, you can go check out our Patreon page. It's just a way for you to earn some cool um, rewards, help us hit some goals that we're trying to obtain. And like I said, give us that little bit of extra support, patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ricky Widmer. Brandon is at young underscore swan 19. Most valuable podcast is at most valuable pod. It's the same thing on Snapchat. Sean, our social media guy is doing a bang up job. I want to thank you guys all for listening. Please come back to most valuable podcast more often as we got some great shows and some great podcasts for you, but that's going to do it for the primetime podcast. And as always have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.